Jumbo, Jumbo Karibu, everybody. Jumbo Karibu. I am Dr. Ruth Vitamo Akumbu. Today I will be exploring culture and identity with Dr. Ghazi. We are dedicating this episode to all the young girls in Iran that are fighting for their identity. Jumbo, 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 Dr. Ghazi. Jumbo, Dr. Akumbu. <laughs> <laughs> Jumbo. How are you uh, doing? I am good. I am good. How are you doing? I am doing really well. I am doing really well. Thank you so much for joining my podcast. Of course. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm really excited to be here today. Great. Great. <laughs> yeah. So, Dr. Ghazi, will you please introduce yourself for our audience? Absolutely. Uh, thank you so much for having me on, Ruth. Uh, Dr. Akumbu, I should say, you know. Um, and so, yes, my name is Asia Ghazi. So a little bit about my background. I am a, well, I do a lot of different things. So <laughs> I do a lot of different things. But a little bit about what I do is I, I do coach women on overcoming imposter syndrome. I'm also a trainer. So I do a lot of training. I have a background in human resources. So I do some consulting and training and leadership programs and services. And I'm also right now opening up my own training institute. And uh, I am looking forward to getting some more certificates out there for people to do especially for women, uh, so that they're able to really develop their leadership skills and be able to put themselves out there and also overcome imposter syndrome because I have a whole study on it. And I created a four-step model to help people, uh, especially women, with overcoming imposter syndrome. Dr. Ghazi, I would like for you to say your full names, how it is said, and if there is any meaning to your name, can you just give us a little bit of context to your names? Oh, absolutely. I love that you asked this question because we don't ever hear this kind of question. Um, so my name is Asiya Ghazi. Actually, it's Asiya Noor Ghazi. My middle name is Noor. Um, and there's a beautiful meaning behind each and every one of my names. And so we'll begin with the first name, Asiya. So Asiya stands for the queen of pillars, one that can hold the foundation together. So my name is that and and I feel like that is who I am because I am that foundation that holds many things together. And so other people in our team are able to get the work done because I'm there in that foundation. And so that's one meaning of my name, but there's another meaning of the name. And the other meaning is someone who is a healer and who remains steadfast. Mm -hmm. And so this meaning is because the name Asia comes from Moses's, uh, I guess, adoptive mother is the way I would say it, the Pharaoh's wife. So the Pharaoh's wife, uh, her name was Asia in, in the Quran. And so Asia was this very, she was, she was a very, uh, very good woman. She was tortured by the Pharaoh because she believed in only one God and she did not believe in him as the God. And so she denounced him. And so because of that, he tortured her and ultimately ended up killing her. But she remained steadfast to her beliefs and uh, and and she was well loved you know from by everybody it's, and and so god has a special place for for her in paradise and so anyone with this name asia knows that it definitely exhibits that steadfastness that patience the healing effect of it and the fact that you are there as a solid pillar and so that's the meaning of my first name that's and then the, the, my middle name nur that means divine light 
So it's a, it's Arabic. I'll actually, to be honest, even though I'm Pakistani Indian, my my um, I was born in America, but my family is from Pakistan and India, and so everyone who anyone who's Muslim will have Arabic names because <laughs> that's just how it is. Um, but uh, yeah, so Noor is an Arabic. Islam is the same thing as every everyone is who is a Christian tend to have a Christian name. So right. exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah. exactly. So so the middle name Noor is divine light. It means God's light. So directly, it is the name of, of God as well, Nur. Um, and Ghazi is the meaning of the victorious warrior. So someone who's won the war and just come home from the war with the win. So victorious warrior. So if you put all of my names together, right, my first name, my middle name, and my last name, it's a very powerful meaning. And it's like a very powerful bang, right? And I think the meaning of our names are so important. And I'm so glad that you asked that because, and I, I think about this all the time. Our names really mean something to us in our lives. There, it's There's an essence behind it. And if we know what the meaning of our name is, it lets us know what our life is going to be about and the perspective that we hold and how we carry ourselves in life. So absolutely. Holding the I have to agree with you because um, my name, even though I do have, I have, I think in another podcast, another episode of this podcast, I talked about my, my name. Um, being being a big part of my identity and how it traces who I am back to my ancestors. So I really value names. And uh, my my Christian name, Ruth, has been a guiding light for me as I grew up and tried to figure out my identity as an individual. I remember as a young person just reading the Bible, reading the book of Ruth so many times so that I can get the essence of why this woman is so important that she's placed in the Bible. And I could say that that name, the name I was given has been a guiding light to me beside my father's name, which tells me who my ancestors are and helps me really be grounded in who I am based on my ancestors, this name, uh, Ruth, brings in a new perspective and get me new light. And then my middle name, which is Vitsamamo, they're talking about me. It's, it's a, a very interesting name, which I have also mentioned that in previous uh, uh, episodes that I, I never really used it because I just felt like my father gave me a name, which meant they are talking about me. So they're talking about him. So I was like, what kind of a name is that? And it's really long and it's complicated. But with time, it it, it, it it told me something about my father that even though he couldn't hear and even though he knew people were talking about him, he, he didn't let that define who he was. He just made it as in, I know what you're doing, but I'm not going to... I'm not going to do anything about it because you hear people talking about you want to stand up and defend yourself and things like that. He never stood up to defend himself. He basically just gave a name, gave me a name that says they're talking about me. And sometimes I have personally used it because I have said, look, if I'm sitting in a situation where I feel like people are talking about me, I just shake it off. I say they're talking about me. So I take the same perspective that my father placed on me and I keep going with it so yeah. yeah I really I really love names and and I love um 
the diversity of names and I love the culture that comes with name and I love the identity of how we tie our identity to name and yours is so fascinating yours is so so fascinating it crosses the Quran and it crosses the Bible so yes it's I really 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 loved how you have presented your name is there more you want to say about your name well, you know, the only, like, I love what you said about your name too, because I think it's really interesting. And you said, it, you know, your father's name, right? It's a, it's a part of that. And it, in, in, usually in the Pakistani and Indian culture, when a, a woman gets married, she takes her husband's first name as her last name. Mm -hmm. And then the children take on the husband's first name. And so it kind of becomes like this ongoing kind of thing. But what I find interesting is that they we use the last name, right? Like when we get married here in our in the European culture and the American culture, and I think in other cultures too, when a person gets married, they take their husband's last name if they choose to do that. But it's interesting that in other countries like Pakistan and India, they only take the husband's first name and add it to their name. And I just, I kind of find that fascinating because I'm like, right, but then isn't it the ancestry, the ancestry is coming, let's say, you know, my last name is Ghazi because my dad's last name is Ghazi. So I was born here. So rather than having his first name as my last name, I have, you know, his, you know, his last name is my last name, right? Um, and so to me, it's like, well, the Ghazi is a surname. So it continues on from, you know, centuries, like an ancestor name. And so to me, I'm like, well, what happens when you keep adding the first name of each person you get married to? Like, I mean, then does that get lost in transla translation? So that I kind of wonder about that. Yeah, that is a really good question. That's a really good question because that's how my name is set up. So every yeah. member of my household, our names are set up like that. Unless a kid goes like my, my nephew, whose name is Akumbo Ndifon. So now he has a name that is my father's name. So it kind of messes with him a little bit if you're counting it because he fought, he, he has, he's taken a name of a grandfather. Um, mm -hmm. But the villagers, I, I had like the villagers are really good with keeping track. For example, when you mentioned that the, the, the woman takes the husband's name. So my mom took my father's name. So my mom's name is Pauline Vecho Ndifon. Ndifon is my, my, my father's last name. Mm. Then we are, I will be Ruvetamamo Akumbo, which is my father's technically middle name because we have that Christian background where the first names are the Christian names. So now it takes this, the middle name, which in the tribe is the first name. Akumbo is the first name, even though it's the middle name when you put right. it in a legal system. So my mom takes that name. But the way, in my tribe, the way we do it is that if somebody meets me, and they uh, they want to understand where I am from as a woman. They will say, I will tell them my name is Ruth Vitamamo Akumbo. If there's one, more than one Akumbo, they will say, which Akumbo? And then I will say, Akumbo, the son of Ndifon. And I, so I am Ruth Vitamamo Akumbo, the son of Ndifon, the, yeah. the daughter of Ndifon and the daughter of, Pauline Vucho, when I say Pauline Vucho, then I add my mother's uh, father's name, Pauline Vucho Akuchu, right? So now I bring in two families together. I think that's one of the reasons why African greetings can be so extensive. It's, like yeah. When you go in a, in a official uh, Western world, you talk about uh, greetings, it's like, hello, hello, that's it, right? You, you keep going with conversation. In African traditions, you like dig deep. Who are you? You right. told me you're the daughter of this. 
of which family and then you break it you bring your mothers you bring your fathers which which this which means these parents are constantly enforcing to the third fourth fifth generations i don't know further than maybe the fourth generation all the way to a way that's where i think i end but I think the members of my family that can go and go and go on both sides. They know yeah. that line on both sides. So even though I may I might marry and take the guy's name, it doesn't really get lost because when I introduce, I always introduce and bring in. Yeah, and I think that's another reason why they bring in also. Uh, they will they gener after a few generations, they will start naming children based on the grandparents. Mm -hmm. That way, they can relink it. Oh, this was, the, she was named after, like I have had my sister who is called Nkuma, or my sister, which is Ngwe. And I was like, why Ngwe? And then they were like, oh, it was named after this great auntie or that great auntie. See, you see the line keeps going. Yeah, yeah. No, so it's funny. It's so interesting you're saying this um, because it makes me think about some people, you know, in the world too. Like, for example, I have friends who are, um, you know, who have a Hispanic, Latino background. And um they have the, and I don't know if I'm getting this right. So anyone who's listening, please feel free to let us know if this is correct. But right. <laughs> for example, like they'll say, they'll have someone that will say that their name is Veronica Garcia Ramos, right? And you're like, okay, Garcia and Ramos, because I think the mother's name comes first and then the father's name. So they attach the mom's last name and the father's last name, Garcia and then Ramos, right? For example, putting it together. Um, you know, for example, Hernandez Acha, you know, um, and some people have long names because they're adding in like all their grandparents' names from the line. So then it's like, wow, that's a very long name. So I, I they have their that system. And then I was speaking to a, a, a friend of mine from my cohort who's from China. And and so his his name, um, he was telling me his name. And uh, and he said, Well, you know, in China, actually the the last name here is our first name. Okay. His last name is Lee. His last name is Lee, but he says something about it being the first name and the way it is in China, it would be Lee. And then it would be the name. And so I'm thinking, oh, that's interesting. Now, again, somebody who's listening, correct us if this, if, if I'm not correct, but this is what he was telling me. Yeah. So I thought it was really interesting how for everyone of us in our different cultures and different lands and in the world around this, how everyone has different ways of putting the name. My, my, my family, for example, my mom's side of the family, everybody has a different last name. Nobody has... It is inherent that the last name is Abdullah, for example, but nobody has that. Everybody has different last names. And I had asked my mom, I said, well, but if you guys were all, you know, the sons and daughters of Abdullah, how come you don't have Abdullah or at least my grandfather's last name? And uh, she was like, you know, I'm not really sure, but this was the way that we were named. We were just, we were all given different last names, even though it's the same, same family, same inherent, same last name, explicitly it's different names. Wow. So I, 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 so I was fascinating. fascinated. Yeah, I was fascinated by that. That is so fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, I, 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 really, I really love talking about names because we, as a society, we keep, there's so many changes as culture keeps changing. There's so many changes that are coming about that if we don't keep talking about these things and sharing the significance and the importance there's just new things that are coming into the culture that causes you to almost dismiss this and say oh this name is just too long or oh, this name is just too hard to say or oh, this name is just like we have excuses yeah. to 
do away with the old and then replace the old with the new. And sometimes the new just gets as complicated, gets even more complicated than our old. So um, I think it is important that, uh, that educators or, or people in business world everywhere we are, that when somebody says, this is my name, it is important to take the time to understand why the person is name is is named the way they are and some people grow up and they don't like their name and they go change it to what yeah. they think it's better for them so it's yeah. it's all part of the person's culture and identity right so we're talking today about culture and identity and um yeah. there's so much that goes into culture and identity and you've given me a little bit of your background and how your name which name is just one tiny element right there's just one yeah. tiny element in the whole big umbrella of culture so and, our identity. and what was that and our identity and the identity so yeah. it's like if we want to talk about culture in a really large way, it's it's going to take us days and days and days and days. So today we just keep exploring and we're going to explore again culture as an identity. And then we're going to look at dressing, which is something that I touched on in one, in one episode. And I think that I really want us to touch on it today. And I really want to dedicate this 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 episode to the two young girls that were killed in Iran. I might butcher their names if you can help me. So I will give you their names. And they are Nika Shaka Shakami. She's 16. Mm -hmm. Nika mm -hmm. Shakami. She's 16. And there's Sarina Esmel Esmel Zeta. Esmel Zeta. Esmel Zeta, yeah. Huh? Okay. Could you say the names? Is it possible for you to say the names so that it comes up better? <laughs> Oh, no, you said it correctly, actually. Okay, great. Yeah. Wonderful. So these yeah. two young ladies are both 16. And um, and as we, we we touched on this a little bit in our previous, um, uh, our pre-conversation to this, when we, we were touching on this, is cultural identity and how at the age of 16 years old, these young ladies are still going through the Erickson stage five, right? Like you and me being from a, 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 a theoretical background with PhDs, this means a little bit more to us. But from the Erickson stage five developmental uh, uh, level phase, stage five, um, this basically means that these girls are still trying to understand their identity. They're just still trying to understand their identity. And now you take the culture and then you take this formative period of their identity. It makes me wonder, what was I like as a 16 year old? What was I like as a 16 year old? And I, I, wrote, I noticed some, start, some thoughts. I, I note in, 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 um, in uh, a little bit of a write-up that I did that I wanted to know who I was at 16, between 15, 16. So, so the Erickson stage developmental uh, stage five is the ages between 12 and 18 years old, correct? And right. For me, between that time period, what was I, how was I thinking? I vividly remember that I was struggling a lot with my identity, trying to understand who I am as a young girl, who I am as a, as a Christian young girl, who I am as a woman. There was just so many things that I wanted to, to understand. And I can tell you that those were the, those days are the days that really 
grounded me into who I am today. Like when I look back, some of the, 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 the definite decisions I made about my life, my faith, and my culture, those are the, 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 the overarching decisions that are empowering me today. So my faith, my beliefs, my Christian beliefs, my cultural beliefs, and all of that. And then um, one of the big examples, which I've also discussed, was just something like wearing pants. Wearing pants was such a big thing. And it yeah. was such a, a, a struggle to just to finally come to the decision that I was comfortable wearing pants as a woman and as a Christian woman in a village in Africa. So I was comfortable. I came to that conclusion, but it, it took struggle and it took a lot of talking between the, the, the religious community for, for me to finally say, I know what you're saying, but this is why I am going with this and why. So you start to think about these young girls and their hair scarves and, okay, it's a cultural thing, it's a religious thing, but there is this talk of war that is leading to the loss of life. We know that it doesn't only, like there's all the riots right now, it's not just about that. We know there's a little bit more, but we want to focus on this one little thing that is seems like to be the, the, the what do we call it, the, 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 the stick that broke the camel's back. <laughs> so it's not necessarily a, a stick, a tiny stick that will come its back. But you know, yeah. it's just that one little drop that just makes the whole thing overflow. So for this stage, um, Erickson notes that failure to successfully go through this process results in conflicting identity and confusion, and also leading in conflicting beliefs and desires. And this is carried on to the next stage, which is stage six, where they start to struggle with intimacy and isolation. So there is just so much in that age group that we see rioting right now and dying for things that we take for granted. Any thoughts on these? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. We're talking about the Ericsson's, you know, steps, especially with adolescents, but I think it's a lot more deeper than this, in all honesty. Okay. And um, here's, here's, here's what it is. The so it all started with with actually this has been going on since two thousand nine, but it really came out this year because of the, when when Masa Amini was killed, you know, because yeah. she did not have the scarf on the right way, you know, she according to them they were like oh her hair was showing so yeah. that's not good and then they they did what they did to her. Mm-hmm. That really created a, a revolution that's going on now in Iran where they're saying listen, we have had enough. Because you're essentially, you're taking away our identity. You're taking away who we are by forcing something on us that we don't need mm-hmm. or want. Mm-hmm. And it has nothing to do with religion. So I'm going to say that out loud because a lot of people have been saying- That this is a fascinating update, okay? Yeah, yeah. Has nothing to do with religion. It has to do with freedom. So in Iran, they're saying, Zan zindigi azadi. what does that mean? Women have the right to be free and to live their lives, Right. Zindagi is it means life. We want to live our life, right? And and so in order to have that freedom to be able to live, we do not want to impose what we want on other people. We should only impose it on ourselves, but not on other people, right? Mm-hmm. So for example, the, the two women, you know, that were also killed, um, Sonika was one of them. So uh, her 
Serena, I mean, there's there's so many women. Right now, there's an Olympian. Her name is also El Naz. She's missing because she decided to take her hijab off so she can, you know, complete the Olympics. And she was doing the, the wall climbing. And she did it such a great and fascinating job. And she was in South Korea doing this, representing the country of Iran. And then supposedly, and I don't, we don't know what's going on, but someone I think might've kidnapped her from there or something happened. She's been missing since that day. And, and, and all of this is, is to say that, you know, even at the age of 16, as you're growing, as you're growing up and you're trying to not only find your identity, you're also trying to find this freedom in these countries see, where they're living there is no freedom. In America, it's different. You know, when you're 16 here in America, and even in Europe, uh, you're 16 years old here, you are now considered, you know, almost an adult. You're still a child, but now you're becoming an adult. You're starting to think about what kind of decisions you want to make. When I was 16, I was still very naive. I didn't know what I was trying to do. I was just trying to become more social because for my whole life, I had people making fun of me and bullying me just because I was fat and because maybe I looked different from them. They didn't understand, you know, and I never understood. And so at the age of 16, I was looking to have a social life. I was looking to, to expand and grow. I didn't want to feel that isolation, so to speak, right? I wasn't thinking about, I want freedom. I wasn't thinking about, I have to keep my hair covered and, and I have to do this and that. I was not thinking about those things because this is because of where we live here. Our culture here is so different. Yeah. But if I was living in Pakistan, at 16, a lot of women, a lot of girls are getting married at the age of 16. The parents are saying, okay, we'll get you married. So some of the girls, depending on their wealth and, and uh, how much money the family has, they're either going to college and they're just trying to figure out what they're going to do with their lives. And a lot of times they get married at a young age. Same in a lot of other countries uh, outside of Europe and America, North America, where girls are getting married so young that they don't even have the chance to build that identity. So like if you get married off at the age of 13 or 14, you know, do you even have the moment, the chance to sit there and say, okay, well now I have to create an identity. No, because you, you got stripped from your childhood and got straight into marriage with an elderly person that you don't even know. And now you're a wife and then pretty soon you become a mother and that's it. And so, and I've seen this happen. And I even see this happen with, with some of the, some of my friends I have here got married very young. They got married very young. And they're just like, we can't identify ourselves in any other way. So it isn't until the age of 35 to 40 when they start to think about what they want to be in their life. So it seems like that stage at the age of 16 got missed completely. Right. And they ended up at that stage at the age of 35 or 40. Wow. Because of the fact that they lost their identity and they ended up becoming a wife and a mom. And that's all they knew for the last 18 or 20 right. years. So that became their identity. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And that was imposed on them. It wasn't what they chose. Mm -hmm. It was imposed on them. Um, in Iran, the fact, so in Iran and in a lot of um, countries, a lot of Muslim countries around the world, uh, they they want you to wear the covering, which is interesting because if you look at countries like Denmark and you look at countries like France they're try and India even, where they're trying to ban the hijab because they're against Muslims. They don't like the Muslims. They, they feel, they think in their mind, they think that women who are wearing the covering on their hair, the hijab, that they're oppressed, but that's not it. So, in our religion and in every religion, I hope we have choices. God has said, you have a choice to follow what you want to follow. Mm -hmm. And that in, especially in Islam, we are told there's no compulsion in religion, meaning that uh, there's nothing to, to, to compulse you to do something. You, you, you have the free will to do it. Mm -hmm. Now it's up to, it's going to be up to God to judge you on whatever you do at the end of the day. 
Mm-hmm. That's why we have the day of judgment in our religions, because that's when we know God is going to be the one to say, hey, you did this in your life. You did this. You didn't follow what my command was. Here's a reason why my command was. There. But that's at that point. That's between everything that happens with us is between us and our God. It has nothing to do with you and me or you and someone else or me and someone. You know, we are not here to judge. Mm-hmm. So when you're seeing that you have a, a, a regime in Iran and even in other countries where they're mandating or not mandating, they're taking, they're mandating that you don't wear it and they're mandating that you wear it. Right. Where can you go? It's like, where do you go? Where's the middle I, ground? I really, I really appreciate you bringing that point because yesterday, as I was just reflecting on this and I was reading, um, I read a, quite a, an article, a BBC article titled The Islamic Veil Across Europe. And it gave a, a number of countries from Germany, Australia, France, and you mentioned France. And there was a case that was brought um, to court by a young lady in France in 2014, saying that their religious, um, I think 2011, no, the ban in France was 2011 for veils. And, and then 2014, the young la- the lady brought this, uh, this, uh, this case. And it, it, she lost. She lost because they said that it, uh, it, she argued that it violated her freedoms, but she lost that case because the nation had basically decided that that is not, um, that it's either oppressive, like you said, or some people argued in all some of the countries, it says some people argued that it made them feel uncomfortable when somebody else wears a veil. And then another thing, because, yeah. 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 And then it, another person that brought a, a, an intriguing uh, uh, argument was that it it is it is um that it it is it is making that it is a form of communication once you do that. And when somebody's interacting with you, they're not getting the full flesh communication. <laughs> so okay, those so are just people, some arguments. Yeah, a lot of arguments. Go ahead. And I'm just saying a lot of those arguments are actually really ridiculous. They're fallacies. <laughs> they're fallacies. <laughs> Plain yeah, and simple. Yeah, they're fallacies. So, okay, w- w- if somebody's wearing the cross, am I going to say it makes me feel uncomfortable that you're wearing the cross or that you're wearing like uh, the, the outfit that a nun wears? Even in the even in the Christian religion, you have nuns who are covering themselves. Right. You have people even in and if you look in the in the Jewish religion too, yeah. women that are covering themselves, they're told to wear. In fact, I have a friend who told me that they wear wigs sometimes to cover their real hair because they don't want their real hair to show, or they're wearing the hats and they're also covering themselves, especially the Orthodox ones. You notice that even the men wear the caps. Mm-hmm. So is it right for me to sit there and say, Well, you guys make me feel uncomfortable because of this? Take it off. Are you serious? You're telling somebody essentially that their identity does not mean anything to you and that because you want to feel comfortable, you'd rather that somebody lose their identity just to make you feel comfortable. How how does that make sense? No. Let's make it make sense, right? No, it doesn't. So when and you're I, too- Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> okay. And that that's it. It, it. it makes it really makes the position that the United States have taken a little bit a, a bit more uh, uh, comforting, I have to say comforting, because you don't want you don't want somebody to run away from one oppression just to come to another oppression. If exactly. somebody is living in a country that offers them the freedom to wear a hijab or not to wear a hijab, to wear a veil or not to wear a veil, and they choose to wear a veil, then you have to understand that it's a choice at this point. It's exactly. not an oppression. Unless you want to tell me that that person came with their very extremely oppressive husband and they're living with their express, uh, uh, oppressive husband. 
in 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 that situation but even then you have to dig a little bit deeper before you mm -hmm. call them and tell them to throw out whatever they believe right see oppression uh oppression or as we call it in arabic and in urdu and farsi we say zulum so if you are going to do if you're going to oppress somebody oppression is domestic violence oppression is taking away somebody's ability to make money financial ab abuse you know, uh, uh, oppression is bullying somebody, making making them feel like they're not good enough. You know, it, uh, oppression has a lot of different looks and names. But when it comes to the veil, when it comes to the hijab, as, as a woman and as a Muslim woman, you have a choice whether you want to wear this or not. And I really don't even understand why we're even going after the Muslim women when really you have pe different religions around the world who cover themselves. Even in the Hindu religion, you will notice that women will cover themselves mm -hmm. with their, you know, what we call dupattas. Mm -hmm. When they're doing their pujas and where they're doing their prayers, they will do that. Um, and so to me, it's like this, where the, there's no oppression. Oppression happens when a human forces something on you. That's what's happening in Iran, essentially, is the oppression by the government where they're forcing you to do something that you don't want to do. Mm -hmm. They're forcing the women to, you know, wear the covering, and then they don't treat women with, with respect at all. Even though religious-wise, it says you have to treat women with the utmost respect, but they are not doing that, right? So oppression is not being treated with respect. Oppression is being forced to do something you don't want to do. And like you just said, moving from one oppression to another is not right either because you went from uh, having to wear the veil all the time to, well, now I'm used to wearing the veil as a part of my identity. Oh, but now I'm here in another country where now they're telling me to take it off completely. They don't want me to wear that. So what do you want me to do then? Where's my identity in all of this? Right? Yeah, yeah uh, you, very strong, very strong point right there, Dr. Ghazi. Very strong point because it's like, you, you know that this person has been stripped of those formative years. So their formative years is made of that, those, that phase, formative phase is made of all of the hijab and on all these other things that, that, um, that they married into. So that is definitely part of the identity. So exactly. it is, it has to be their choice to, to be able to create something different. It needs to be their choice. It don't. It doesn't need to see, be somebody imposing it upon them. Exactly, and we also don't want discrimination. And you know, even though here we don't have these kinds of laws, and people are free to do whatever they want to do, you still see you still see discrimination against people. You see discrimination based on religion, on race. But you you know, as a woman who, so I have friends who wear the hijab. I I don't wear it. It's I have a choice. I don't I don't wear it. My my family never raised me in that type of way. And even if I were to be to have been raised in Pakistan and India, I still would not have, you know, been forced to wear the hijab because that's not a force. Mm -hmm. If you want to do that because you feel that wearing the hijab brings you closer to God, okay, great, do it. And and if you don't want to do it, it doesn't mean you cannot get any closer to God. Right. Because it's not about just that. Sometimes you can cover your hair and still do ridiculous things. Right. So it has nothing to do with you know, like somebody can wear the cross, somebody working the star, somebody can wear the name of Allah in their in their locket, somebody can wear the evil eye and oh, this and this. You're if you are acting like a ridiculous person, you are gonna act ridiculous no matter what. That stuff is nothing. Right? Jumbo, you know how you say like you take jumbos, like say jumbo, we're like hello. Exactly. <laughs> jumbo, exactly. hello, hello, yes. So 
so you know so so we aren't even talking about that stuff right so yeah. if anyone thinks oh but this no 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 i have friends i'm gonna tell you i have i have friends who wear hijab because you know they they come from a part of the world where hijab is something that they grew up with right if you live in jordan if you live in palestine if you live in um, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, especially in these other countries, you are going to notice that women there are, are more covered up. Um, but you don't really ever hear about the regime doing all that stuff like you do in Iran, right? But the thing is, is that even when they're here, they're doing this. They're wearing the, they're covering. And I have friends who have told me, you know, I've noticed a huge difference in the way people treat me when I'm wearing the hijab and a difference in when I'm not wearing it. Mm. So some of my, some of my friends decided to take the hijab off and they, they, they grew up with it. It was a part of their identity for a very long time. And then they had to kind of go through an introspection and reflection of some sort. You know, is this something that I really see myself doing? You know, and a lot of times they, they, they don't want to, but they take it off because they feel that, oh, okay. You know, I, I want to take it off because I think I'm going to get more opportunities. People are going to look at me differently. That's because true. if they have the hijab on, look, people discriminate against them and make them feel bad. And then they don't feel that they have the opportunities. However, I will digress and say that actually I have seen a lot of women who wear hijab being very accepted here in, in, in our society and in the workplace. And, and this acceptance is trying to grow. However, yes. it needs to grow more, right? We yes. need to be more accepted of, of, of what people want to do. And what I, I love is... I agree. Yeah, yeah, and what I love is I'm seeing pictures of women now that do have the hijab on. Like you see, I, I think I was, I have been seeing, um, you know, when people have their websites, I see like the stock photos mm -hmm. and I see not just women like you and me, but women that are also wearing the hijab. Mm -hmm. My fellow Muslims. Oh, the hijab, the one that closes your eyes? Which no, one it's, the, it's the full head covering. It's just the full head covering. The head covering, right. So, so the, so here, if you're covering like your whole face from your, like, your nose down, okay. that's called the niqab. Yeah. Okay. So that one is different. That one is also, that one is not even, it's not even supposed to be mandatory. Even in our religion, it's like, yeah, you're cover up, but yeah. it's not necessary to cover up your face. Okay. You don't have and then to the one that covers all your eyes too. This one that covers a lot, even the eyes, right? Covers your face. No, your eyes are supposed to stay. You're, oh. you're, you're supposed to still show your eyes. Mm -hmm. But the niqab is one that like, so a person is wearing their full hijab mm -hmm. and then they wear their full niqab. Mm -hmm. And so that's what they're doing. I, like I said, I wasn't raised in that environment. Mm -hmm. My mom was, so my mom told me in Pakistan, you know, when she would go out, she would cover herself, mm -hmm. you know, and go out and stuff. But that was, that's because that's a part of the religion and the culture. Again, government doesn't impose it. It's just a part of it. Right. And also because you know that in our, in our countries, you know, to avoid men looking at you in a certain way, covering yourself up is something that is, you know, looked upon as a good thing. Again, part of our religion is modesty and humbleness and to make sure that you're, you're covered in hijab doesn't necessarily mean just the covering of your hair. Mm -hmm. Hijab means, you know, making sure you're wearing clothes that are not revealing, that are not showing your whole body and figure that you're going to, you know, that's going to attract somebody to you, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's to be modest in your, in your style of dress is to be modest in the way that you look mm -hmm. and, and, and to, to, to really, really, be, it's really the essence of being humble. It has nothing to do with cover yourself in this. Yes, you, of course, you want to cover yourself so a, a men don't look at you in that way, but men are always going to look at you no matter what. I mean, even if you, <laughs> you can go up in, 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 a, in a CVS pharmacy, you look, you have your hair tied up and you dressed up in- Are they going to look at you? And they're still going to look at you and go- <laughs> I agree. Yeah. The men are just men. Yeah. But to avoid, you know, things, you know, to, to be humble, to be modest, to avoid- issues that can create further problems for women especially it is encouraged mm -hmm. and advised that women be modest, be modest in their dress and keep themselves covered don't show your cleavage off mm -hmm. don't show you know your your you know things like that and and that's and that's fine 
But again, there's no compulsion, right? And it's not a religion. It has nothing to do with religion, but it has to do with power. Mm-hmm. And these people, the, the regimes are wanting this power over people, especially women, mm-hmm. you know, because they look at women as the, as the weaker sex. We're not the weaker sex. Trust me, we're not. <laughs> no, and we're showing that and and they're showing that in iran right now which is beautiful they're showing that these women are standing up and saying no i am done i don't identify myself with this you are forcing this on me i'm not identifying myself with it that is the most fascinating thing i have learned today is is also is the fact that this is not about religion this is just about power and oppressing the women it's not necessary in your religion it says that you have to wear the hijab or you're not going to be godly right so this is i thank you for that that is really eye-opening and that is a perspective that i i think in my head i thought it was a religious thing Mm -hmm. yeah so it's nice to know that it's not the big thing about religion is is that we are just told to be covered up and be modest Modest. yes we of course when you're praying you're going to do your five prayers you're going to read the quran the woman is told to cover up that's mandatory there Mm -hmm. because you have to cover up if you're going to pray you Mm -hmm. cover up when you're in the mosque and you're praying and you're reading the Quran. And that's and then outside of that, you don't have to be, right? Yeah, it's only fulfilling that religious. And it's for both men and women, right? Because the exactly. men will take the hat on or they'll put that, they'll wrap that. So it's not just the, that. It's both men and women. Exactly. Point. And there's a specific way we're supposed to dress. Like women, like for example, uh in Islam, uh men are supposed to wear pants that go up to right above their ankles, right? Versus women should cover their ankles fully. Mm-hmm. Right. To cover our beauty so that the only people that see our beauty are our husbands, mm-hmm. are, are the, the people in our family, our, our relatives. Mm-hmm. They can see us. Mm-hmm. But other people outside should not be able, should not see that because that ha- does not belong to them. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know? yeah. And so cover yourself. Even the men are supposed to be covered. Okay, yeah, the men, you know, they need, need to be covered from the bottom down. They cannot show that stuff. And yet you still, you see women are, you see men are wearing shorts and, and you know, acting like yeah. they, they can do whatever. So my thing is this, how come women have to be the ones? Why can't you go and post something on men then? Right. Right. Yeah. And, and again, it just goes right back to the oppression of women. When you look at it and you look at it, at, at the stance of what's going on in the world, the women are the ones that are being the most tortured. Mm-hmm. The women are the ones that are being, the women and their children are the ones that are being most tortured. And so when it comes down to the stripping of our identities, to the stripping of who we are, how we identify ourselves to be, people are starting to think about, well, I don't want to identify myself with this. I don't want to be a part of this. Mm-hmm. And so that's why people are are, are out there and, and protesting and revolting. Yeah. Yeah. I really, like, it's, I am, I am one of those people that, is like I, I I push cultural relevance, right? I I I love cultural relevance, and I I I think that countries with uh, colonial backgrounds need to start looking a little bit more back to their culture to see how those things in their cultures make them better, and not mm-hmm. just adopting Western views. Um, exactly. As far as this is concerned you can i think you and me can both agree that um the western view on the issue especially the american view on the issue giving the woman more freedom is a bit is it's a lot better mm-hmm. and watching our young people dying because they, they because somebody didn't wear a veil 
a veil that is a situation between them and their God, not necessarily between you. Like the society requires that. And if society is changing and culture is changing, then it's time for the leaders of that culture to start reassessing. Like, okay, if this is changing, the women are wanting a little bit more. What can we do to make sure that, that they get, that we find a new middle ground for the culture? What can we do to find a new middle ground for the culture instead of just sending morality police or sending not only morality uh, in Cameroon, there was a time where girls were wearing short skirts and they had people on the streets who literally beat the girls up for wearing skirts that that were that were past a certain level, right? So it, it, it became a yeah. tool of, of oppression at one point. Like it's not as bad as in 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 Iran right now, but it's like we said, universally, women have been the one that have been oppressed the most. Right. Fortunate. I really want to circle back to something that you said about companies, how the experiences have changed. Um, I have also noted, I think I noted also in another episode where I was talking about how the entertainment industry have changed. I was in the entertainment industry for 17 yeah. years and how it's changed because when I worked in the entertainment industry, I was a token black girl. And then at one point I had really short Afro and mm. people looked at my short Afro like, oh yeah, African. So anything I would do, I would get like the African related roles to play, not high level roles, it was background. So I would get these roles. And when I changed, when I changed my hair and I started wearing wigs, because at one point I was like, I want to grow my hair out. I'm tired of this stereotype where all of a sudden I am the token black African girl that is is anything. I don't get cast for anything else unless there was like a role that it, I have to play an African or something. So mm -hmm. I was like, I need a change. I need uh, um, a hairstyle because I was rebelling against wigs. I, I never liked wigs. So I was rebelling against wigs. And I said, no, I don't want to wear wigs. So eventually I was like, if I want to grow my hair out, it means that I need to find another way because growing my hair out meant I have to either do ex uh, 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 braids, extensions, or different types of hair that was not common on, on the movie sets. So eventually I started wearing wigs and I could tell that I started getting more work in different areas because I basically conformed to what society wanted society wanted me to have straight hair i confirmed and i conformed to straight hair and i started to get work yeah. which is which is unfortunate which is unfortunate but it was the reality at the time and you also mentioned that it, it's things are changing like you saw on that website you saw the woman with the with the hijab and it's true i am seeing a lot more women on tv with hijab i am seeing more people getting cast in roles that have their regular cornrows in their hair that have their bar hair or they have different hairstyles that in those days would not have like 10 years ago, not even talking a long time ago, 10 years ago would have not been acceptable. So yeah. in the US, I believe that the push for racial equal, equality and equity is really working. It's, it might look like it's slow, but it's, it's working. It's working. Yeah. It's working. So I really appreciated you bringing that up. Absolutely. I think it's important to bring it up and, and for people to know, you know, I mean, 
we're a work in progress. And I know, you know, I have a background in human resources. So this is something that is so important for us and we need to be able to, to do that. Yeah. What is your four step model? Is there something that you could just share quickly so people know what to look forward to? Absolutely. So the four step model is it's it, the acronym is ASIA, uh, which also coincidentally stands for the legal spelling of my name. <laughs> but uh, the the model, the four step model stands for accomplish, which is setting a goal. Basically, you have a goal you want to set. So one of the ways that we want to overcome imposter syndrome is to think about what we want to do in our lives, how we want to accomplish those goals. And so A stands for accomplish. And then S stands for support systems. Uh, part of the study that I did when I spoke to my participants for my research was that the way that they overcame imposter syndrome was to have a support system. So you have your mentors, you have people that are part of your circle of influence. These are people that you have chosen carefully to be in your life that you share things with and who are always there to support you and back you up. These are people that will basically be your mirror and tell you how great you are when you tell them you are not great at all, right? And you need that support system. Mm -hmm. So your professors, your mentors, um, colleagues, friends, you know, family, people that you know. So the third step is I, which is for investment. And we're not talking about financially investing in yourself. We're talking about investing in yourself mentally and emotionally, as well as in a way where you're enhancing your leadership development and skills. So invest in yourself, meaning take courses. If there's a skill that you're not good at, you just got promoted to a position and you're going, oh my God, I can't do this. They're going to find out. They're, they're going to demote me. They're not going to do any of that. Go out there and learn the skill. Take some classes. Um, we have LinkedIn Learning. We have Coursera. You can take classes online for free. Um, you can go and attend a community college or join an association that belongs to a part of your network, right? So you have a network. Um, for example, I'm in human resources, so I am in, in a few human resources associations. I go to the club meetings. I go to the club events. I meet people there that are in the same industry as me. I make new connections and network with them. And so that helps because then it helps you to see that there are people out there that are like you and you're putting money towards these associations, you know, join Toastmasters. There's so many things that you can do. So invest in yourself. And finally, the last one, A stands for acknowledgement. So acknowledging your wins, celebrating your wins and making sure that, that people are acknowledging you too for your work. Because a lot of times we, we as leaders don't always acknowledge the members that do the work. And so we want to make sure that we're acknowledging everybody and to, and when we are getting that acknowledgement for us to take that acknowledgement and really believe it rather than going, oh yeah, thank you. And then you're just ignoring the compliment because you don't believe it, but you're actually saying, you know, wow, yeah, I, I, I didn't realize how much of an impact my work made for you and to be proud of that work and to celebrate that work. So those are the four steps in overcoming. I acknowledge you. So thank you. And I acknowledge you for this great contribution you've made to us today. Thank Especially you. From, uh, as a Muslim American, I want to acknowledge you and I want to thank you for it because it was very insightful and it was really deep. Um, now. Thank you. Thank you so much. Wonderful. So um, one final question before we leave is, how can one preserve, like, let's ponder this and hopefully our audience will ponder it too and, uh, and, and, and just keep the conversation going. So how can one preserve their culture while creating an identity? 
is this, this is something that I am pondering and I just want to see if you have any thoughts on that. If not, that is okay. How do we preserve our culture while creating identities, like an individual identity? It's important to preserve our culture because if because the culture is the part of our identity, you know, I mean, I identify myself as a Pakistani American. Um, my culture is more Pakistani than Indian because I did not have the Indian side of my family in my life, my father's side of the family, right? They're from India. And so I identify myself more culturally as a Pakistani American rather than Pakistani Indian. And so I want to preserve that identity because when I have children, I want to be able to make sure that they also see that cultural identity that is a part of who they're going to be, because they're coming from that same culture and the same background. So to learn about your culture, to learn about the language, the food, the different customs, the different things that we're doing, it really makes us feel good and unique. We don't have to be like everyone else. We have to be ourselves. So that's a huge part of our identity, our culture, and then who we are as people. You know, like we were talking about names earlier. Our names are our our identity it's a part of our identity but how do we associate how do we associate ourselves with those names how do we um you know associate ourselves with the people that we want to be you know so we're emulating people that we see we have mentors they become a part of our identity too in some fashion or form right so to preserve this culture to preserve our identities we really need to con constantly develop ourselves we have to constantly work on ourselves you know yeah, we can't stray away and say, okay, well, our, you know, this is what's happening. Our culture doesn't make sense. I'm going to, I'm going to leave and adopt something else. Yeah. It would be very difficult to adopt a whole new culture when you are a part of your culture. But what I like to see is people learning about different cultures and seeing the similarities and the differences of each culture. I, I do that. I mean, I have so many friends from different walks of life, different cultures, different ages, different identities, and I learn everything from them. I see them, I see the way that they are, and I go, oh, we have a lot of things in common. You know, maybe right. some of our language is common. Exactly. Some of our are common, right? Some of our, our customs are common, yes. but we all have our differences, and I get to appreciate those differences. Yes. yes. I love that. It's um, my, I think about two episodes ago, I did for for cut for Hispanic Heritage Month, I did similarities between my culture and um, the Hispanic culture. And it was so interesting. I, I didn't think I would be that excited, but I was very excited to, to, to see all those things that are similar that you were saying from the food to the music, to the dance, to music and dance go together. And the, the, the beliefs, like the religious beliefs and, and just how how that shared heritage, which kind of makes sense because of the as transatlantic slavery moved moved a lot of the coast west coast uh, African west coast traditions over to the Americas, and um, but it's nice to sit back and say I am really I really have a lot in common with you. You know, like we've talked about other things that you and I have in common, even though you're Pakistani American. Say, Pakistani American, correct? Pakistani yeah. American, and I am African American, actually meaning from the African continent, first generation in our, in in the United States. We have so much in common, and it's it's it should unite us, not divide us. And when I talk about DIB in in the workplace, I like to come, I like to come from it, not just from a racial background issue, but from also a cultural background because once we look at 
diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, and we come at it from culture, you will see that you might look completely different than me, but we might share the same values. We might share the same customs. We might share the same practices. We might share the same beliefs, which are also now it becomes that whole umbrella of culture, the beliefs, uh, practices, customs, norms or norms, and uh, 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 um, just the, the, the subcultural stuff like music, food, and even your history or part of it. So I, I, I love seeing how the United States is evolving because of DIB, diversity, equity, inclusion. I love seeing how we're pulling culture to create our individual identities. So create, yeah. for me to keep my culture and to create my individual identity, I have to understand the why behind my culture. Absolutely. Like I personally need to understand the why behind my personal practices, norms, customs, uh, beliefs. I need to understand the why or even the language because language too evolves. I need to understand the why behind these things. Once I know the why behind the things that I'm doing, then it's easy for me to form a new, my own indiv individualized culture as you might say, my own individualized culture compared to just being told this is how it is. And then eventually somebody using that ignorance from my part to oppress me because I like you, you understand why you should people wear hijabs, why people should wear the coverings. And because you understand it fully, you have made an informed decision based on that. So your individualized identity now has not dismissed your culture because you know when and when when it is appropriate to wear a veil compared to somebody who doesn't or mm -hmm. why you want to wear a veil on a day-to-day, -day, why somebody will want to wear a veil to work in the Western world, why somebody would choose not to wear a veil in the Western world who is completely, who is a Muslim. Right. Right. So I, yeah. I, I truly appreciate this. And your yawning tells me that it's time for us to call it quick. But <laughs> it was really great, Dr. Ghazi. This was wonderful. And I appreciate you. You're a great leader. And I just uh, look forward to another opportunity to have deep conversation with you. Oh, absolutely. Listen, the yawning is because I didn't sleep that well last night. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Yes. But thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it being on your podcast and to really dive deep into a lot of the conversations. And I, I'm sure you and I are going to have so much more to talk about. Right. Asante. Asante means thank you. So asante. Asante. Well, shukriya. Shukriya in my language means thank you. Oh, thank you. Because see, now I switch. I switch. So I have, I, I, I like, I know like five words in Swahili. That's what I'm using. But in my tribal language, it's kazong. Kazong. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah, so sukura. So you say kazong, I say sukura. <laughs> exactly. Kazong. Shukran. <laughs> Shukran. Yes. So yeah. talk to you soon. Absolutely. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>